Okay, so we're in our last weekend, our last week of our October preaching series. So I mentioned this uh, back at the beginning of October. Um, the, the, the bishops around the country have decided that uh, we should do this thing called a Eucharistic revival to try to bring about great, greater faith and belief and understanding about what the church teaches and believes about what takes place here at Mass. Acknowledging that, that for, for most Catholics, most Catholics don't believe it, and only about half of the Catholics actually know what the church teaches about what takes place at Mass, which is crazy because this is what we say is our high point, the high point in our Catholic Christian faith. Uh, so the bishops have been trying to, to stir up some, some understanding and some belief in the, Holy, in the Holy Eucharist. And Bishop Cousins in our diocese uh, decided that the month of October should be a month dedicated to preaching specifically about the Holy Eucharist. Uh, and so what he did is he changed the mass readings from what we would normally hear and what, what everyone else around that, like the country, everyone else around the world is hearing for mass. Uh, he decided that, that for us, we should have readings that are focused on uh, the, the Eucharist and what can lead to teaching about the Eucharist. So we've been, we've been talking about it in a number of different ways. And I, I hope I laid out for you that my, my hope from the beginning was that I would teach in such a way that, that you would at least come to an understanding of what the church teaches about this. That, that when we come to Mass, just kind of it boils down to this thing. When we come to Mass, the priest takes bread and wine, just like Jesus at the Last Supper took bread and wine, and he said some words. And so the priest says the same words. Take this and eat it. This is my body. Take this and drink from it. This is the chalice of my blood. And we believe that when Jesus spoke those words back then, that the bread and the wine changed into his body and his blood. And so we believe that the priest, when he says these words, by the power that God has given to him through the grace of his ordination to the priesthood, that every time we come to Holy Mass, Catholic Mass, and only at Catholic Mass, does this change take place, that the bread and the wine that the priest prays over change entirely into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So that there's nothing left that is bread and wine, but it is entirely changed into into the body and blood of Jesus, even though it still looks and smells and tastes and feels like bread and wine. We believe that there's like something like divine time travel taking place, that, that when Jesus says at the Last Supper, do this in memory of me, that he's instituting something that's like a ritual, uh, not like a, that is a ritual, so that when his church celebrates that ritual, the memory that we have, it, it's stronger than a usual kind of memory. It brings us or it brings that moment up to us or us back to it, as well as to the moment of the crucifixion where, where the mass is actually like a sacrifice. Right, so that's, that's kind of what we've been teaching about. So now we end up at this, at this last um, Sunday and uh, it's, it's a little bit different. And even what I'm gonna talk about is a little bit different than, than what was suggested that we talk about. Um, so what, what's on my mind um, this morning is, is this. Uh, just like the different ways that we have to communicate. So there, there's something else we'll talk about towards the end of the homily. But before we get to that, we got to kind of lay, lay like a foundation of sorts um, about, about Jesus ultimately and about God. So there's a way of communicating. And I think about like how there's actually different ways to communicate. You know, we all kind of communicate in different ways. I think like sometimes people want to communicate more in direct ways. You know, that's typically how I communicate, whether you like it or not. I, I'm really direct and clear. And then there are other people who want to communicate more indirectly, you know? So it's like, if, if, I, if I want someone to open a window, maybe I would say, you should open a window. Whereas someone who communicates more indirectly, they might say, gosh, it'd be really nice if someone would open a window, right? So there, there's different ways to communicate there. Then there are other, other things of like, well, I, I could communicate in such a way that what I want you to do, I might pose it as like a suggestion that I hope you choose, but it's a suggestion. Whereas other times I might communicate in such a way that there's, there's no option here. And so I'm commanding you. 
right? And then, and then there's, I mean, there's even more than that, but those are the kinds of things that I, I think about. In fact, it, I was thinking about this morning, um, when I was a kid, my, my family lived in a house that was not super far away from a grocery store. And so sometimes, you know, if we needed to go to the grocery store real quick to get something, you know, we, my brother and I could get on our bikes and go, or my parents could just hop in the car and be back in, in no time kind of thing. So anyway, there was a, it was a Saturday morning and um, my parents wanted to make pancakes for breakfast, which of course was very, very exciting. And um, we didn't have any eggs. So my dad came to my brother and I and he said, hey, do you want to go to the grocery store and get some eggs? Right, so he posed it as a question. I found out later it wasn't actually a question, right? Like, so he put like, do you want to? And so I answered, I was like, no, I, I don't. And he got really upset with me, right? Because I didn't understand that, that he wasn't implying a question or he was implying a command and I, I didn't get that. And so I just answered honestly, like, no, I, I don't wanna do this. And so he got really upset and I was really confused because we were communicating from two different perspectives. In fact, it happened later on in, in uh, my life when I was a few years older, the same thing happened. Like, hey, do you wanna do this thing? And I was just like, no, I don't. It was at that moment I really realized like, okay, when my dad asks a question, it's not actually a question, right? It's a command, right? So that, that kind of thing, I was, I was thinking about that. And, and, and what I've noticed throughout my life is that I just really appreciate direct communication. I really appreciate, I mean, you, you, you know by now that I communicate directly and I, I tell you what is clear if it's clear and what is direct if it needs to be direct. But I also appreciate when other people communicate directly to me. And so there's something about when I read the Gospels that I really appreciate when Jesus speaks clearly. And I think our gospel passage is actually one of, one of these instances. There's a whole bunch of instances throughout the scriptures when Jesus is really clear because he doesn't, he doesn't, want, to, he doesn't want to leave it up as though it's a suggestion. And, and for that matter, he doesn't want to leave us wondering. So I, I really appreciate it. So example, let's, let's go back to, to this gospel passage. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. So they went to the mountain. Why did they go to the mountain? Well, because Jesus ordered them to go there. It's like, okay, well, if you want to see me, you, you got to go to this mountain. So you, we can ask, like, well, what if, they, what if they had supposed Jesus was speaking, you know, as little as like a suggestion you could go to the mountain? They decided not to. Well, they wouldn't have seen Jesus, right? They went to the mountain because he ordered it. And then it, it actually, so that's just like something that caught my attention right now, but, but it goes on. So Jesus approached them and said to them, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? So everything, all authority from heaven, all authority over the earth has been given to me. And then he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go, therefore. So who's, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the 11. So this is after the resurrection. So we know that Judas, one of the 12, abandoned ship. And so now there's just 11 apostles left. Jesus is speaking to the leaders of his community, the leaders of his church. He's saying, go and make disciples. So Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have always understood that the primary task, the one task that Jesus gives to his church is to make disciples. That's the one thing that he tells them to do. I mean, he, he tells them other things. There are certainly implications under the heading of make disciples. But that's like, before he ascends into heaven, this is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. The one task he gives to his church is to make disciples. That's a really clear and direct thing that he communicates. But then what's great is actually he becomes even more clear about how to do that, right? How do I make disciples of, nation, of all nations? Well, I baptize them and I teach them to observe everything, all, he says, that I have commanded, 
Right? So what's under the heading of making disciples the clear teaching of Jesus? More clear teaching, which is to baptize everybody, which hopefully we're all baptized in here. But then what? To teach, teach everyone to observe everything that Jesus commanded. That's super clear. So my, t my task as a priest, I know this, right? As a, as a leader of the church, my task is to make disciples. How do I do that? I make disciples by baptizing people, right? By introducing them to faith in Jesus. And then when they have faith in Jesus, I can baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But then my task after that is to do what? Is to teach you to observe everything that Jesus taught. Everything, not just that he taught, but that he commanded. That's my task. So if I want you to be a disciple, and, and there's, there's a, a subtle implication here, maybe an indirect way of understanding this is like, okay, well, if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, then that means what? It means I need to observe all of the commandments of Jesus. And if I'm not observing all of the commandments of Jesus, well, what does that mean? It means I'm not a disciple. So this, this, this is something that, that I just love because it's just, it's so clear. There's, there's no options here that Jesus lays out. Now, why, why I'm thinking about this? I'm thinking about this partially, I mean, in big part because of our Eucharistic series, but also because of what I see on a, a larger scale thing, right? So I've, I've mentioned this before, that, that sometimes I'll, I'll speak about things from a general perspective, which means this is what I see throughout the church, not just at like St. Clement's in Grigla or, or St. Francis in Oakley or St. Anne's in Goodridge. I, I might see it there, but this is something that I see across the spectrum. And what I see is this, that we have a whole church filled with people who don't think that they need to follow all of the commands of Jesus. We have a whole church filled with people who were taught as though the commandments of Jesus are more like suggestions of Jesus rather than commands. What's, what's fascinating is this, that the doctrine of the church over the last like 2,000 years, there's maybe been some developments, but the doctrine of the church is still very clear about like this is what we believe as Catholic Christians. But unfortunately, we have a whole church of people who say, well, I know the church says this, but I don't really have to believe it. I know the Bible teaches this, but I, that, I don't have to do it. Well, we have a whole bunch of people who think that the commands of Jesus and of his church are just suggestions. And, and why is that? Well, a big reason for that is because the leadership of his church has not taught clearly and directly what the commands of the Lord are. The, and, and that starts with me. It starts with other priests. It starts with bishops. It starts sometimes with popes throughout history who have not always been clear about, like, look, this is what Jesus commands. This is what the church commands. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to do it. You've got to observe it. You've got to live it. Like, this is, this is a big problem. So, so now what, what happens? Well, we have all kinds of people who what? Who were formed, who were taught in such a way that there was much more emphasis on their personal feelings than on, the, than on keeping the commandments of Jesus. Much more emphasis on their personal feelings than on the need for us to be obedient to Jesus. So we all, we all know people, including myself and our family and our friends, other you know, parishioners, uh, people that we know around town. We know all kinds of people who what? Who say, you know what? Jesus and I, are, we're in a good, we have a good relationship. Even though that person never comes to mass or doesn't have any problem missing mass on any given Sunday. Breaking one of the commands of Jesus. We have all kinds of people who say, no, like the Lord and I, we're, we're good. We have an understanding. We, we have a good relationship. I have deep faith in him. Even though there's people who have no problem supporting things like abortion or same-sex marriage. 
We have all kinds of people across the board who are like, well, no, like Jesus and I, we have this really good relationship, even though they're living a lifestyle that is contrary to what the Bible or what the church teaches. And that's a big problem because, like I said, the Lord's commands are commands, not suggestions. The Lord's teaching is clear. It's not, it's not always indirect. In fact, it's very infrequently indirect. But most often, Jesus is direct and his church is direct. And so we're stuck in this place of just like, well, this all feels optional to me. And now someone wants to come along and tell me that it's not really optional. So then it, it's always challenging, but it becomes more challenging than it really needs to. And this, this includes, and this is, this is why I, I wanted to talk about this at the end of our series, because this includes our worship. Jesus has been clear about how to worship him. Just like God has been clear about how to worship him from the beginning. You, you guys, you, you, we'll, we'll make a connection uh, to the Old Testament in a minute, but you guys have heard me say a number of times over the last four weeks, now five weeks, you've heard me say this one verse over and over and over again, as though it, and there's, there's even more that could be said, but this one verse where Jesus is very clear, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. That's so clear. It's so direct. Now, I know that the Christian denominations have disagreements about what exactly that means, but wouldn't it make sense for us then within our disagreements to say, okay, but like, what does he actually mean here? Because this seems really important. We hear him say at the Last Supper, do this in memory of me. Take this and eat it. And again, we might have disagreements about what that means. Hopefully, hopefully for us as Catholic Christians, we don't have disagreements, but I, I don't know what's inside your mind. We might have disagreements, but wouldn't it make sense for us to say like, okay, well, we have disagreements. Let's talk about this and try to figure out because this seems like a really clear, direct command of Jesus. And for me to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to keep his commands because that's the task of the church is to teach me to keep his commands. And so I, I want to do that, right? Like this, this is the kind of thing that we're getting as like, okay, Jesus clearly lays out for us what worship looks like. And, and for that matter, this is where we connect, can connect to the Old Testament re, uh, readings because you, you guys have heard me talk about this, that, that um, at the Last Supper, Jesus does something. And then he says, he institutes, he says, do this in memory of me. And what we're talking about is, is some sort of a memorial ritual that, that makes it stronger than typical memory. But what hopefully you've also caught on with, and, and I think I've com communicated this, but maybe I haven't. Jesus, of course, was Jewish. And so he would have been very familiar with how the Jewish people offered worship. And, and for that matter, the apostles were all Jewish. And so they would have been very familiar with how the Jewish people offered worship. So what Jesus is doing at the Last Supper is, is something that is connected with the Old Testament. It's something that's connected with the Jewish way of worshiping. And it's, it's not just that the Last Supper is a fulfillment of the Passover, but that he's doing something else. So listen, listen again to our first reading uh, where, where the Lord does something. He says, the Lord said to Moses, order the Israelites. So order them, command them. Right? So the Lord again is being clear and direct about what he wants for worship. Order the Israelites to bring, your to bring you clear oil of crushed olives for the light so that you may keep the lamp burning brightly, burning regularly in the tent of meeting, which could also be called the tabernacle. So we're going to come back to all this in a minute. In the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle, outside the veil that hangs in front of the covenant, Aaron shall set up the lamp to burn before the Lord regularly from evening till morning by a perpetual statute throughout your generations. 
He shall set up the lamps on the pure gold menorah to burn regularly before the Lord. Okay, so the Lord commands them to light a lamp. In other words, to light a candle that would burn before the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. So think about this. Where do you know a place that keeps a candle burning 24-7? Oh, right, we have one right there. And, and where does that, what does that candle burn before? Well, what's this gold box called? It's called a tabernacle. And what's inside the tabernacle? Well, inside of this tabernacle was the covenant. Inside of this tabernacle, we have the Eucharist, which Jesus calls what? The new covenant. You see how, how what he's doing, it's not, it's, it's new, absolutely. It's, it's not the same worship that the Jewish people offered in the old covenant. But it's not so new that it's completely disconnected from the old. In fact, what he's doing is he's taking the old form of worship and he's, he's elevating it to something new. You, you've heard me say this before, that, that whenever there's a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the New Testament thing is always better. So what he's doing is saying, okay, well, there was a lamp burning before the Lord in the Old Testament. Now there's a lamp burning before the Lord in the New Testament. And this New Testament lamp points to a greater reality. Now, what was, what was going on in the Old Testament? Well, you shall take bran flour and bake it into 12 cakes. Cakes of what? Cakes of bread. In fact, it says this, that uh, you shall place the two piles, six in each pile, on, pure, on a pure gold table before the Lord. With each pile, put frankincense, which serves as an oblation to the Lord, an offering, a token of the bread offering. So in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they took bread, they placed it on a golden vessel, and they offered it to the Lord as a sacrifice. Where, where do we see that? At Mass, what do we do? We take bread, and we put it on gold vessels. And we take wine and we put it in a gold vessel and we put it on a table and we do what? We offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. You see this connection that's going on, except in the, in the, in the Last Supper, what happens is this, is that Jesus in the Last Supper, he takes the bread and he changes the bread into his body and blood because the bread of the new covenant can't possibly be even on the same playing field as the bread of the old covenant. It has to be something better. And so it says, regularly on each Sabbath day, the bread shall be set out before the Lord on behalf of the Israelites by an everlasting covenant. What do we do? We gather on Sundays, the Christian Sabbath, and we offer the new bread, which is the Holy Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And just as they gathered each Sabbath day, so too we as a Christian church, Catholic Christian church, we gather each Sunday to do what? to lay bread and wine on these golden vessels and we offer them, which are changed into the body and blood of Jesus, we offer them to the Lord as an everlasting covenant. Like this, this is incredible. What we're doing here is not just some random thing that, that people started, you know, they just made up and innovated and, and created as something new. No, what's, what's going on here? It stretches back not only to the time of Jesus. Jesus takes it and he elevates it, but it stretches back even further to like about 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. Why do we do it? Because the Lord has commanded it. The Lord commanded it, and so Jesus did it. Now Jesus commands it in a new and elevated kind of way, and so we do it. Like This is so incredible that, that, that we are here to share it. And I know that, that sometimes it can seem like it's not super, super incredible. I know sometimes it can seem like, gosh, too much directness is not always a good thing. Right? So I know that sometimes it can seem like I, I, don't, I, don't, I come and I don't get anything out of it. Or I come and it just looks like bread and wine. Or I come and, and it, it's just too hard to, for me to, to listen to long homilies or to listen to sharp and direct homilies. Like, I understand that sometimes that can be really difficult. But, but we got to understand, like, we're here 
in fulfillment of what Jesus has commanded because we want to be his disciples. And, and as, as we're here to fulfill what he commands, it, it's, it's not just that we're offering worship. I mean, we are doing that. But those who are in a state of grace, those who are outside of mortal sin, who can come forward to receive Holy Communion, it's that, it's that he then gives us the bread to eat. The bread which is his body and his blood. It's a, it's a mystery that, that if we miss it, we miss everything. But if we get it, we get everything. So I, I simply invite you, I invite you to really reflect on this mystery. And like I said at the beginning, I, I hope that what I've been teaching, and this isn't the only time I'll teach about the Eucharist, by, by no means, but I hope what I've been teaching for the last month has been enlightening for you and has, has actually like helped you understand more deeply what it is that happens here at Mass. But I also hope that you believe it and that believing it, you allow it to change your lives. So that if you're not coming to Mass every Sunday, you start coming. So that if you're not regularly repenting of your sins so that you can receive Holy Communion, that you start repenting of your sins. So that when you come into the church, if you're not currently being reverent and and quietly prayerful while you're here that you would start doing those things because the mystery that we're at right now, the, the presence that we're in, it's not ordinary bread. This is something supernatural, something extraordinary that, that only God can do and he does it for us. And so we come to receive from him.